need him. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I praise the Lord. Always good to have folks up from Alabama, Roll Tide. <laughs> we will be in Genesis chapter 37 this morning. Genesis 37. I don't know how far we'll get. I'm just going to ask the Lord to help, help me uh, this morning to get whatever he wants to say out of this. I don't have an outline. I don't have notes. We're just live without a net here this morning. But uh, let's ask God to help. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Praise you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Uh, Father, so much to glean from this story, Lord. And uh, I don't have any agenda here, but I just pray that you would speak to your people this morning, God, and uh, give an application, Lord. Uh, if there's somebody here today who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, Father, that you'd save their soul. God, please help me, Lord. I, I confess that I'm poor and needy. God, I'm nothing without you. Fill me with your strength. Fill me with your power, Lord, so that men might glorify you, glorify your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. Genesis uh, 37. Now, I hope, you, I hope you trust me by now that, that I don't just arbitrarily uh, pick a text to preach out of. I don't just, they call it lucky dipping, you know, where you just flip over to the Bible and say, God, where would you have me to preach today? Uh, I don't do that. Uh, it's not random, arbitrary. I, I pray a lot about this. And uh, the Lord just put this in my spirit, this particular narrative and we may go with it for a while. We'll just see where he leads. Um, but this is the story of Joseph. The last uh, 13, 14 chapters of Genesis are devoted to the life of Joseph. Now, he's not, uh, he's not in the line of Messiah. You would think that it might finish with Judah, since he's the tribe that Messiah comes from. But instead, we focus on this 17-year-old boy Joseph and his journey uh, being sold as a slave into Egypt. And so uh, th there's a lot to glean here, uh, a lot of insights. But let's begin in uh, verse 1 of 37. It says, and Jacob, dwelt, uh, and Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Now chapter 36 of Genesis closes the story of Esau. And Esau, uh, we know he's not a part of the chosen line, and he chose to dwell in Edom, uh, Mount Seir. And so uh, the, 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 the story of Esau has come to a close. But now we see Jacob is in the promised land. He's in the land of Canaan. And this is his story. Even though it's Joseph's, uh, Joseph is the primary figure in the narrative, it's Jacob's story. And Jacob dwells there where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. You know what? You and I are in this world, but we are strangers and pilgrims. We are not of this world. And the longer I live, the more I realize I don't belong here. Amen? You might know what I'm talking about. Uh, my home is not in this, this world. I am a citizen of another country, a heavenly country. And uh, he's a stranger and a pilgrim uh, in the promised land. Now, the problem is, 
The Canaanites are wicked. Uh, they're, they're evil. And there's another issue uh, at hand, and that is that God has promised that He's going to take His, uh, His people out of another place and bring them into the land of Canaan. So if you will, turn with me now to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to see the sovereignty of God. Now, God's name is not mentioned in this chapter by name or the Lord, but the providence or the sovereignty of God uh, is everywhere in this particular narrative. Genesis 15. And this is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. This is where God makes a covenant with Abraham. Long story short, he puts Abraham in a deep sleep and, he, and God himself walks between the, the pieces of the animals showing that it's a unilateral covenant. It's not dependent on Abraham's obedience or Abram at this point, I think, on his obedience. But God himself is going to fulfill his promises. Now in uh, 15, God begins to talk. Now there's some some birds, uh, some fowls that are going to come on the carcasses. And birds are often an omen, a bad omen. They're synonymous a lot of times with evil spirits. And so uh, even though God is making this promise to Abraham and his, his descendants, there's an ominous hint here that his people, God's people, are going to go into slavery. So uh, James, if you would, if you're in Genesis 15, if you would read verses um, 11 through 14. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge and afterward shall they come out with a great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. All right. So uh, I don't think Egypt is explicitly named there, but God says that the people of God are going to be in slavery for 400 years. So that's what's at stake here is God's sovereignty. His plan is outworking. And uh, how he's going to do it is going to be a surprise to everybody. And I want to tell you what, God's plans in your life are often going to be, they're going to blow your mind. Uh, and not always in a good way. God's not always going to do it the way you think he should do it. Uh, as a matter of fact, he seldom ever does it that way. Uh, it's going to be a long and winding road for uh, the Israelites to get to Egypt. It's going to be very painful for Joseph. It's going to be a lot of pain in Joseph's life. All right, let's go back to 37 now, Genesis 37. <clears throat> And we get to verse 2. It says, Now these are the generations of Jacob. The Hebrew word here for generation is uh, toledah. And you find this formula all throughout the book of Genesis. Uh, and what, what this generation is, it's not a genealogy, but it's a written record of what has happened in the family. And so you've got, uh, I, I think there's about a dozen of them in the book of Genesis. You've got the generations of the heaven and the earth. You've got the generations of uh, Terah, of Shem, of Noah. Um, uh, Isaac, now, now it's the generation of Jacob. Now, even though it's the generation of Jacob, uh, the, the focus is going to be on Joseph here. 
Now, uh, something about the book of Genesis. Who, who wrote the book of Genesis? Anybody know? I know the Holy Spirit did. Moses, that's right. Now, you might ask yourself, well, how in the world did Moses write the book of Genesis? Because he, he was born uh, after all of this stuff transpired. Well, that's where these Toledas come in. This is where the, uh, the generations or the, the family records come in. And so each of these families, they compiled the, the story uh, that they had had. So imagine uh, you've got in your hands right now or in your pew or, or, or wherever, You've got the record that Adam had when he walked with God. You're getting an eyewitness account of what it was like to walk in the Garden of Eden from Adam himself. We have the Word of God preserved for us from actual eyewitnesses of, the, of these marvelous things. <laughs> Noah was on the ark, so who better to write Noah's story, right, than the man who lived through that? And so on and so forth. And so what Moses did uh, is he compiled all of these uh, Toledas, all of these uh, records, and he edited them uh, into what we now have as the book of Genesis. Okay? So that's how all that came into play. Now, God, no doubt God told him this stuff when he was on Mount Sinai too, and he, he rehearsed it with him. But Moses has all of these written records. It's amazing how God's Word has been preserved for us. Throughout the ages. It's just a, it's a miracle in itself. Uh, look with me in the Gospel of Luke now, chapter 1. Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Let me ask you a pop quiz here. Was Luke one of the twelve apostles? He was not. Very good. Well, how on earth did he write the Gospel of Luke then? Because he was not... Uh, he was not there uh, doing the miracles with Jesus and, seeing, and uh, going from town to town with him. When you get to Luke chapter 1 and you'll find out uh, how Luke was able to do this. The same way Moses did by eyewitness accounts. And the language is a little obscure in the old King James. Um, but in uh, Luke 1, uh, James would you read verses 1 through 4. For as much as they have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Okay, so Luke has got all these eyewitness accounts. And that's, he's compiled them together, and that's how he wrote the gospel. And that's probably uh, why you have so much stuff about Mary in the first uh, few chapters. It's probably Mary told Joseph, uh, not Joseph, Mary told Luke the story of how she got pregnant and... Uh, by the Holy Spirit and all, and all of her experiences because she would have been the only one really that could have related that uh, properly, okay? So that's how Moses did it. Now Moses, as you know, uh, he grew up in the household of Pharaoh and he had the finest education that money could buy. Uh, he was a brilliant man. We, we kind of picture Moses as this bumbling, stumbling kind of guy, but he was brilliant. And that's how God trained him 
so that he could compile that and edit the book of Genesis in the fashion that he did. So let's go back to Genesis 37 now. Back to verse 2. It says, These are the generations of Jacob. It says, Joseph being 17 years old. Now the Holy Spirit brings that to our attention because it's going to be uh, crucial to understanding what's going on here. He's 17 years old. You know, God can use young people. You know? Uh, he doesn't just use old folks like me. Uh, he uses teenagers. And, and, but whenever God gets ready to do something, he's got a person, you know, that he's going to use. And uh, I just pray God would continue to raise up more and more people in this church uh, to, 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 to do things for his glory. And I believe that he will. Now, he's 17 years old, and he's feeding the flock with his brothers. The Hebrew implies here that he's kind of uh, overseeing things. Now, all of his brothers are older than him. You see how this might cause some issues? <laughs> and Joseph's the supervisor, you know, he's 17 years old. Uh, they're feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Billah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about some dysfunction here. Joseph came from a highly dysfunctional family. Uh, and how many of you know you can't help the family that you're born into? <laughs> I mean, you can choose your friends, but you got no choice with your family. You can choose whether you hang out with them or not, I guess. So, let's rehearse this. Jacob loved a pretty girl named Rachel. And he wanted her to be his wife. And he agreed, like they did in those times, he agreed with her father. What was his name? Laban. Open book quiz here. He agreed with Laban. Uh, they agreed that he would work seven years. And at the end of seven years, he would give Rachel to be the wife. This is a model for you guys. You want to be in love, you want to get married, you need a job. Can you tell I'm a daddy <laughs> of, of, of girls? Uh, you want to marry one of my daughters, you need a job. Okay? And if you don't have one, you need to be looking for one. <laughs> Real hard. So Jacob worked for seven years, and the Bible says that it seemed like it was just no time at all. You know, because when, really, when you're really in love, you know, you, you're willing to do anything, right? Love can move mountains. Well, there's only one problem. At the end of the seven years, here's the wedding night. <laughs> Let's look at it. Let's look at it. You just got to see it. Um, classic bait and switch. Uh, if somebody finds it before me, tell me where to go. Uh. Okay, it's, it's Genesis 29, <laughs> verse 20. It says, Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days. He's in love. For the love that he had to. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, you know, payday, time to get paid. For my days are fulfilled that I may go in unto her. 
Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. So far, so good. It came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and, and he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah, his maid, for a handmaid. She's going to play into this picture too. And it came to pass that in the morning, I love this, the King James says, Behold, it was Leah. You know, the lights come on and Jacob's like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, wait a minute. This is not what we agreed to here. And he says unto Laban, what is this that you've done unto me? What's a, you know, that's a fitting response. I've, uh, did not I serve you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? You know what's the irony here is Jacob's the trickster, right? So we're going to see that in the story too, is that we reap what we sow. And so Jacob has, um, has done this. Um, and Laban says, well, it must not be so done in our country. You know, he's a politician. He's, he's t talking about the letter of the law. Um, so verse James, would you read uh, verse 27 through 35? Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which that how which shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and he gave him to Rachel his daughter to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Billa, his handmaid, to be her maid. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served him yet seven other years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction, now therefore my husband will love me. And she conceived again, and bare a son, and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And she conceived again, and bare a son, and said, Now this time will my husband be joined to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name called Levi. And she conceived again, and bare a son, and she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, and left bearing. All right, don't leave there. So Leah's had four sons, and every time she thinks, Well, Jacob's going to love me now, right? And he, and he still doesn't favor her, uh, even though she's uh, bearing these children, which was a great honor, uh, no doubt. And God favored Leah by, by doing this for her. Okay, so is Rachel going to be happy? No. He's already got two wives. The plot's about to thicken. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, James, would you read verses? We're in chapter 30 now, uh, verses 1 through 4. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I'll die. Hey, just stop right there. Notice Leah is dreadfully jealous of Rachel, but Rachel is equally envious of Leah because she has no children. 
Uh, moral of the story is don't, don't covet what somebody else has got. Okay? God has you where he wants you. Uh, he's got a plan for your life. Nobody else can take what God has for you. Okay? I'm sorry, James. You can continue now. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? And she said, Behold, my maid Billah, go into unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees that I may also have children by her. And she gave him Billah, her handmaid, to wife, and Jacob went into her. Okay. So now, now Jacob's got three wives. <laughs> now Jacob's got three wives, okay? All right, let's, let's just keep on reading. Uh, James, would you read uh, 3 verse 13? <laughs> and Billah conceived and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me and hath also heard my voice and hath given me a son. Therefore called she his name Dan. And Billah, Rachel's handmaid, conceived again and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali. And Leah saw that she had left bearing. She took Zilpha, her maid, and gave her Jacob to wife. And Zilpha, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a son. And Leah said, A troop cometh, and she called his name Gad. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for the daughters will, come, will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher. <laughs> All right, let's, let's pause here. So now Jacob's got four wives. Okay? And that's a hot mess. They're even naming the kids spiteful names, you know. I'm going to name him this, and that's going to get back at you, you know. And the kids are kind of caught in this vortex, if you will. So um, I'm going to stop with that particular narrative. Let's, I just wanted to give you kind of the background of Joseph. Now, now Rachel's eventually going to bear uh, Joseph and Benjamin. Let's go back to chapter 37. So Joseph, uh, he grows up in a home. Now his mom is dead now in the narrative. But he's got three stepmoms. He's got a sister. Poor girl. Poor Dinah. And he's got 11 brothers. And 10 of them can't stand him. This is the truth. This is the, this, is the narr- this is the context in which our narrative takes place. God is going to move his people from Canaan to Egypt, from Egypt back to Canaan, and he's going to do so through the dysfunction of this chosen family. I said all that to say, you may be sitting here today thinking, well, gosh, that sounds a lot like my family. I don't have three stepmoms, but we're... We're highly dysfunctional. Amen? Don't say amen. <laughs> but we're highly dysfunctional. There's a, there's a moral to this, okay? 
and that God is using, He uses fallen people. He doesn't sanction their fallen behavior, but God chooses to work all things together for good to those that love God and to those that are the called according to His purpose. I didn't say all things were good, but God chooses all things to work together for good. All right. So back to Genesis 37. I got a feeling we're not going to go very far today. <laughs> so he's working with the sons of Billah and with the sons of Zilpah. Now these are the two slave girls. These are the sons of the slaves. And I bet out of all the brothers, those four probably really disliked Joseph. And it says that uh, Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now some commentaries make out that Joseph is this little mamby-pamby tattletale. And I don't think that's the case at all. Joseph is never pictured as being a petty, carnal person. He, he is a picture of integrity the scripture. I think more than likely these four guys are rotten to the core and Joseph's in charge of the flock and, and the Lord only knows what these four boys are doing but Jacob, excuse me, Joseph feels an obligation to his father. Amen. Uh, look with me in Exodus 20. Exodus 20. Exodus 20, verse 12. You read that, James? Yes, sir. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So Joseph, if these guys are doing uh, ungodly things, he has an obligation to look out for his father and for his interests. I mean, that's the family business, right? All right, so we go back to 37 now. It says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children. Uh-oh. Some of you may feel that way about some of your kids, but you better not let them know it. But trust me, they do anyway. They know. Um, you, you know why uh, Jacob should have known better than this? Because he was a victim of this thing himself. Let's, let's back up again. Um, sorry, I'm trying to find where I want to be. This is what happens when you don't have your notes. Okay, Genesis 25. Genesis 25, uh, James, if you'd read 27 and 28. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in the tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison 
but Rebecca loved Jacob. You see some dysfunction here? This, Jake, Jacob should know better. He grew up with this. Now, Esau was a hunter. Uh, the first person mentioned as a hunter, by the way, is Nimrod. So that's a clue to us. Esau's not a good guy. He's not a good guy. But uh, Jacob loved, excuse me, I'm sorry, Isaac loved who? Esau. Now, who had God said was going to be the chosen son? Jacob. When, when Rachel was pregnant, or Rebecca was pregnant, I get those names confused. You'll have to correct me if I, if I stumble, okay? But when she was pregnant, God had said, the elder will serve the younger. Uh, Esau sells his birthright, and it shows us that God chose the right one. You know, God knows what he's doing. And, and Isaac knows that Esau is not the chosen son, and yet he loves him more than Jacob. And the Bible says that Rebekah loved Jacob. So you got not only this favoritism, uh, but you got this rivalry in the marriage. You see how dysfunctional this is? It's highly dysfunctional. All right, so let's go back to 37. It says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his brothers, all of his children, because he was the son of his old age. Now, Benjamin's the baby. So, uh, uh, it's not the idea here that Joseph is the baby. But Joseph is the firstborn son of the wife that he really wanted. You got, it? You got me here? Reuben's the firstborn son. Then Simeon and then Levi and Judah and so forth. But Joseph is the firstborn son of the wife that he really wanted. Okay? And so what... What uh, Israel does, and by the way, Israel is Jacob. God changed his name. Remember, he wrestled with the angel and God changed his name. <clears throat> he did something else. By the way, this son of his old age, uh, in the commentaries I read, it shows that uh, it doesn't just mean that, he was, uh, that uh, Jacob was old when he was born, but that Joseph was wise beyond his years. And no doubt that's why Jacob put him in charge of the flocks. And no doubt why his, brother, his oldest brothers all hated him, you know. Daddy loves Joseph. He's put Joseph in charge. But there's one other thing I want to bring to your attention here. It says he made him a coat of many colors, the King James says. Some translations will say a, a, a multivaried coat. Now, from everything I can study in the Hebrew, um, we may have some misconceptions about, about this coat of many colors. The, it's used one other time in, uh, in the scriptures, and I think it's in 2 Samuel. Well, I don't have the right reference. Okay. 2 Samuel 13. I want you to see this. Thank you, Lord. I'm starting to rethink and getting up here with no notes. <laughs> 2 Samuel 13. This is when this is, this is the, the other time that this same phrase, multivaried coat like this, is used.
Second Samuel 13. Um, and this is speaking of Tamar, who is uh, King David's daughter. If you're, uh, James would read verses 15 through 18. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Amnon said unto her, Arise and be gone. And she said unto him, There is no cause. This evil is sending me away is greater than the other that thou didst unto me. And he would not hearken unto her. Then he called his servant that ministered unto him and said, Put now this woman out from me and bolt the door after her. And she had a garment of diverse colors upon her, for which such robes were the king's daughter's that were virgins apparel. Then the servant brought her out and bolted the door after her. This coat, I'm told in the Hebrew, it means a coat with sleeves. And the, and the etymology of the word uh, talks about it, it, it actually means that it goes down to the foot. Okay. So Joseph's got on this coat with sleeves that's down to the foot. Now what we see here from David's example with his daughter this was the apparel of royalty. Okay. Now, what is Jacob and Joseph's occupation? They're shepherds, right? Okay. Joseph is not dressed for work. Okay. The workers had sleeveless coats in those days. How many farmers do we have in here? I know we got some. Nobody's farming today. Okay, you just don't want me to pick on you. Okay. All right. Joel, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> now imagine, okay, let's just take the whole farming thing out. You guys don't like that analogy, evidently. Let's say that I call a, a church work day this Saturday. I'm not, don't get nervous. But let's just say, let's just say that I am, okay? And on the phone tree, I say, uh, make sure you bring a shovel and a rake and a pitchfork, and a leaf blower, and a lawnmower, and yada, yada, yada. And on the church work day, I show up with a three-piece suit on <laughs> and wingtip shoes. What, what impression am I giving to you? I'm not working, right? I'm the boss. <laughs> yeah, I'm the boss <laughs> in my dreams. So Joseph is out in the field... In the role of the shepherd, but he's, got on, he's not dressed for work. He's out there with a the king's robe on. It's a, and no doubt this is an ostentatious display of his father's affection for him. Okay, No fault of his own. Jacob does this. He loves him. But this is what's going on here. Let's go back to Genesis 37 and we'll, we'll bring this to a close. You know, I had envisioned we'd finish the chapter today. How many of you want to? You just want to push on through to? Okay. All right. <laughs> he made him a coat of many colors. Now, verse 4, and we'll stop here with verse 4, okay? You breathe a sigh of relief now. Verse 4, when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all of his brethren. You see, it was obvious. Even without the coat of many colors, they knew. But what, what Jacob was actually doing is he was letting everybody know, he was serving notice, that all of the firstborn rights of the family 
are going to Joseph. This is totally unconventional, but Jacob should have known this, that God often does it the other way. Ishmael is born first, but Isaac is chosen. Esau is born first, but Jacob is chosen. And so Jacob understands, uh, he, he should have some understanding of this, but they, they loved, uh, when they saw that he loved him more than all the brethren, the scripture says they hated him. You know, it's one thing not to get along with your brothers or your sisters. It's entirely another thing to hate them. They hate him. And I know some commentaries want to, want to say that, well, they hated him because he's a tattletale. But the truth be known is they hated him because of what was inside of them and because he had the favor of his father. And it says not only did they hate him, but it says they could not speak peaceably unto him. They didn't have anything good that they could say to him. Just imagine, all, imagine how your interaction with your family would be. I mean, I've got family that gives me a hard time. You do too, right? But imagine if you had family members that, that never had anything decent to say to you. Every interaction is sarcasm. Every interaction is hatred, jealousy, strife. And that's what Joseph is dealing with throughout his childhood. Everything he's dealing with uh, envy and strife and jealousy. And hatred, the Bible teaches us, is going to be a, a seedbed for all kinds of ungodly things. Eventually, the Bible says if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. And what we're going to see, if God will let me continue this next week, is that this hatred is going to fester, and it's going to fester, and it's going to fester until it finally uh, manifests in murder, or at least attempted murder. You know what? If you live for God, the world's going to hate you. Turn with me to John's Gospel. We'll, we'll close with this. John 15, James, would you read verses 17 through 25, 17 through 25, John 15, 17 through 25. These things I command you, that ye love one another. If the world hated you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake because they know not him that sent me. 
If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled, that it is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. So Joseph is a type of Christ. They hated Joseph simply because he had the favor of his father. Jesus always did those things that pleased his father. He was the father's beloved son in whom he was well pleased. And they hated him without a cause. And if you live for God, the world is going to hate you. But the good news is that I'd rather be a friend of God than a friend of the world. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, God is going to use their hatred and their envy for his purposes, his sovereign purposes. Uh, Again, if God will allow me to, we're going to see how God is going to use that to get Joseph exactly where God wanted wanted him to be. Joseph would never have ended up in Egypt had all of these things not fallen into place. God's moving the chess pieces. And he's not making these people do these wicked things, but he's using their actions to bring about his purposes. And God's going to do that in your life and in my life. Sometimes we, we have no control over the things that happen to us, right? But we can control how we respond to it. And there's a wonderful lesson in Joseph, how he responds to all of his uh, adversity. Would you stand? You know, Jesus Christ was born... Uh, into a, in, a fam, in a family. And the Bible says that even his brothers didn't believe in him. We're studying about one of those on Wednesday night. His name's James. While Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, James didn't believe in him. Matter of fact, they made fun of him. They thought Jesus was out of his mind. They thought he was crazy. But Jesus, he was exactly who he said he was. He was the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for your sin and for my sin. He rose again the third day. And the Bible says that if we put our faith and our trust in Him, if we repent of our sins and our iniquities, we will be saved. We can be born again. That invitation is given. Now, Joseph's brothers rejected him. There will eventually be a reconciliation. And I'll give you a spoiler alert. When you get to the end of the story, it all works out for the good. It all works out to the good. And I'm here to tell you, I don't care what you're going through in this life, If you put your faith on the solid rock, the winds, the storms of life are going to blow. They're going to come. Christians have problems just like the world. I would hazard a guess to say we have more problems than the world because we're on the right side of this thing and we're not walking with the devil. We're walking against him and so he's bringing all of his fiery darts against us. And and that's another thing we need to uh, get from from our, our study is that God uses trials for the glory of God. He uses them for the glory of God. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior today, right where you are, you can receive Him. You can come to this altar and pray and say, God, have mercy on me. I repent of my sins. I am a sinner. I'm sorry. I'm turning from my sins. I'm coming to you just as I am. And God will take you right as you are, but He won't leave you that way. He will change you from the inside out. Maybe you're going through a hard time right now. I'm sure it pales in comparison to what Joseph is about to go through in our story. But maybe you're wondering, God, why me? Why now? Look at all this dysfunction in my life. Can God possibly, God, how can you possibly use this mess called my life? 
And I'm here to tell you that God has a plan for each and every person in this room. Amen. I'll say it again. God has a plan for every person within the sound of my voice. And if you love the Lord, all things work together for good to those that love God and those who are the called according to His purposes. So you may not understand what's going on, but just keep trusting Him, church. Just keep trusting Him because I promise you, He always has your best interest at heart. This altar is open. Would you come?